in a continuation of the fact that I want to make this whatever the hell I want, today we're going to talk about the book White Fragility. It's a book that has been on the New York Times bestseller list. It's about race, and we're going to talk about it. So this is Rob's opinion on the book. Welcome, thanks for listening. Fart into a shopping cart and sacrifice a loved one, because shit's about to go off. It's time to wake up, bitches. Look into my heart. Hi there. Hope you guys are doing okay. Uh, I uh, felt like recording something because I I recently read a book. um, And the title of that book is White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. Now, um, this came on the radar for me when I was having a conversation with a friend that talked about anti-racism. And I was like, what's anti-racism? They're like, you don't know about, oh my God, you got to read this this book, White Fragility. And and they were were trashing and saying how it's, I couldn't even get through it. It was crap. (laughs) It actually made me want to, uh, made me want to read it even more. So I bought it. I read it. I couldn't put it down. I am liberal. Liberal, like, love the First Amendment. Say whatever the hell you want. George Carlin's my hero. Free market, equality, uh, civil rights, that kind of liberal. I despise sanctimonious people who want to just yell, you're racist, you're ignorant, and not have an actual conversation. I despise them. I have to say more as a liberal than people on the right because these people have co-opted what liberalism actually is. And uh, these are not people that real liberals like myself consider members of our ilk. And uh, we hate them. And they do not represent us or what liberalism is. So that said, as like a precursor, the ter- the book title White Fragility, written by Robin D'Angelo, and actually Ford by Michael Eric Dyson. And I really was like, oh, that's good, because I've read uh, Tears We Cannot Stop by Michael Eric Dyson. He is uh, a really profound, um, just concise speaker. I, I really think of him very highly, so I was I was happy to see that the Ford is written by him. But to get into it right away, I think the reason why the title is just triggering immediately. You pick up a book, if you're white, it says, White Fragility, why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism. Immediately, it's almost like, hey, this isn't for white people. White people suck. Am I right? I could understand that logical takeaway. I mean, the title can be very triggering for, you know, people on the right side of the aisle. People people I'm surrounded by every day, which is primarily conservative white men. So throughout the book, she dives at great length about interactions she, as someone who, she's a person who has been hired by companies to come in and do kind of like seminars on race and have conversations with people, generally when there's like a problem or something related to race or racism, HR department-wise and corporations. So she shares a lot of stories about that. One thing that I thought was really interesting is uh, she talked about women's suffrage. And the reason why that is relevant to race and things going on today is women didn't have the right to vote. And so they didn't really have the power to change that. Women had to appeal to people other than themselves to get the people on their side who had the ability to change those laws, to give them the right to vote. And so the parallel would be, it's not just enough for black people to have grievances and protest about race-related issues. It's important for it to be a human issue and for the people who can make that change, primarily people in the halls of power in this country aren't black. It's an important distinction to make because if we're going to make change, the people who aren't the group calling for it make that change. So I I thought that was an interesting parallel that was logical. That struck me as 
worthwhile. Okay, so before I kind of like uh, find anything in particular, I guess I'll take a step back and just talk about something else. There are uh, very well-known intellectual left-leaning people. Sam Harris, if you don't know who he is, go to samharris.org. He's he's a modern philosopher, uh, just a great thinker. He has a meditation app called Waking Up, and um, he's left-leaning, but and he hates Donald Trump. Uh, but one of the things that I disagree with him and um, another guy named Eric Weinstein and other people who have come to call themselves the intellectual dark web is how they classify people on the left as just sanctimonious crybabies. You know, anyone who has a grievance related to race, he and a lot of people, especially in the right, tend to just dismiss that entire notion. And what I think is lost is a conversation that's actually worthwhile. Things like white fragility and white privilege, especially with people like, um, what's his name? Ben, Ben Shapiro. That's it. He is someone on the right who fits like white fragility, white privilege. They immediately explain all that away as everything. Everyone has privilege and they completely miss the point. And the problem is when you miss that point, you are shut off to the ability to actually have a conversation about it. And I will say that many people who are consider themselves center left or left that are people I respect greatly are wrong on this issue. White privilege specific, let's talk about that, does not mean that white people all have privilege. What it means is that your white skin has never prevented you from being able to do something the way that other people who aren't white do. That is not something that is just a privilege. Everyone has privilege. All privileges are the same. Not all privileges are the same. A lot of people who I, when I bring up this term, they say, oh, because white people should feel guilty and fragile because they did something wrong. No, as a matter of fact, in white fragility, there is literally just a single paragraph rejecting the notion of white guilt. So white fragility and white privilege do not endorse the notion of you should feel guilty for being white and as though you owe something or did wrong simply because of who you are. One common narrative is the left and critical race theory is changing what the word racism means. They're changing what racism means. Um, no, they're not. <laughs> racism, the belief that one group or person based on their race is less than another less deserving of rights, less deserving of love, laws. That's that's what racism is. So obviously, we all know that you can be racist if you believe that. There's organizations that are racist, KKK. And when people talk about institutionalized racism, the notion of institutionalized racism isn't changing the definition of racism. Really what it is, is you're just now kind of being forced with how public the conversation is and this movement of anti-racism, you're hitting a point where many of us have been for a very long time. So really what I'm trying to talk to you about is it would be revolutionary if when race is brought up or when white people get any kind of pushback about things that they voice related to race, they wouldn't immediately point fingers, crumble, get defensive, leave, get angry, dismiss, say things like, oh, you can't say anything anymore. If they were able to just listen, it would be revolutionary. Say I said something and a person said to me, that's racist. Why would I feel that I need to defend that I'm not racist? Why, where does that impulse come from? If somebody says, hey, man, that's racist, I go, oh, well, why do you say that? have enough humility to just hear them out 
and this is essentially the crux of the book in my opinion, why is it so hard for white people to talk about it or be confronted or get pushback about race? That's an important question to ask, and that's something growing up in a very conservative place, surrounded to this day primarily by conservative men, who are all my friends. What is it about my constitution that that doesn't trigger me? Whereas with a lot of people on the right, why is that such a disconnect for them? And I don't know. I think that that's one of the great things that this book gave me some eye-opening thoughts around and allowed me to kind of solidify some of my thoughts in relation to what I read in this book. Specifically, if you are a white guy like myself, read this book. Hey, I got a copy. Email me or email thewastepodcast at gmail.com. First come, first serve, and I'll mail it to you. I think that this is important work. I don't think this is the most important book ever written, but we're at, I hate to use words like this, an inflection point in America, and that is where two sides that are bashing against each other, and we need to look for ways to just have honest conversations away from what people expect you to say and what you expect the people who disagree with you to say. If you didn't see The Social Dilemma on Netflix, oh my God, watch that documentary. It's amazing. Uh, that's It's nonpartisan. It really just talks about how um, it's us versus an AI when we interact with social media. It's The model of social media is attention extraction. Get your attention any way possible with notifications or algorithms and then extract clicks, extract looking at it, extract buying stuff. That's really all social media is. We are being divided by things kind of beyond individual narratives, divided by algorithms and supercomputers that uh, really have only an interest in getting us to click on what we want to click on. And we kind of all live in our own bubbles online as a result of the big tech companies and how we are given information. Um, but uh, yeah, this is the kind of stuff I enjoy thinking about, love nonfiction, and um, continue to talk about race. Continue to just meet people with grace and honesty and humility. I know it's cliche to say all this shit, but it's just so true. And it's so true for someone like me who is a self-described liberal who feels like over the last 10 years, media and the left itself has been co-opted by sanctimonious crybabies. And I'm a man who feels like he doesn't have a country anymore as a result. So... No matter what side of the aisle you're on, we're all being played to push against each other for economic gain of a supercomputer. <laughs> but that's not the point of this podcast. The point of the podcast is New York Times number one bestseller, White Fragility. Read it because anti-racism is definitely a thing. It's not going away. And there are aspects of it where people use it incorrectly on the left and they co-opt it for just crazy sanctimonious virtue signaling ways and we need to call those people out but you can't be a part of that conversation if you just wholeheartedly reject everyone who thinks there's validity to it like myself a sensible liberal um thanks for letting me get this kind of stuff off my chest i hope that i make sense and uh, i don't just come off as some left-leaning cuck brainwashed zealot i don't think i am but uh push back email the show tell me i suck uh reach out to me on social media facebook twitter Take care of yourself. We're about a month away from the November election. We'll see what happens. But I'm sure that uh, I'll be, just because so much is going to be going on in the world at that point and uh, surrounding it, I'm sure that uh, I'll probably want to hop on here and share my opinions, even if it's just something like this again. But uh, take care, guys. Bye.
Monkey Berry Marshmallow Blaster.